This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Damien Richards talks about his experience at Lourdes. Can miracles at Lourdes be proven? Are all miracles or healings physical? Can dedication to Mary really change your life? Well, let's find out. Here's Father Damien Richards being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. We welcome in this afternoon Father Damien Richards, ordained in 1992 and has served in Hayes, Junction City, Adwood, Herndon, Beardsley, Tipton, Cocker City, Osborne, and Downs, and is now at St. John's in Beloit with missions in Glasgow, Mankato, Smith Center, and Esben. So we welcome in Father Damien Richards. Welcome, Father. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing fine. Welcome this afternoon, Father Damien. We're going to talk about your experience at Lourdes and uh, going to share with our listeners a little bit about that. So when did you go to Lourdes and uh, with whom did you go and, and, and what was the reason why you went? First off, when, did you, when were you there? It was uh, September of last year, September 2019, and went, uh, there were 17 people in our pilgrimage group, which was just the right size, not too small, not too large, just right, so that way everybody could have a chance to visit and get to know each other. Um, and I'd combined it with a trip to Fatima. I had never been to Fatima, and I was looking for an excuse to go, and I had been to Lourdes before back in 2008, and I wanted to return. Um, and the best way to explain it is, well, Lourdes is Lourdes, that's why. Uh, because Lourdes is just this wonderful place, and if you've been there once, you could see why you'd want to go back. Um, so, what? and, and uh, obviously, your reason why to go there, obviously, going back, you'd been there before. But why is it such a special place of pilgrimage? Maybe tell us... What happened there for people who may not know what happened okay. with your experience there? All right. Well, the thumbnail sketch, because um, when I got back from Lourdes, I would preach on it pretty much every week. And so uh, like, cause it's like, this was really cool, and I had to explain it. Uh, on February 11th, back in 1858, uh, Mary appeared to 14-year-old Bernadette while she was out gathering fire, firewood and uh, the vision down by the river. And the visions continued from February to July. And during one of the visions, Mary directed Bernadette to dig for a spring. When Bernadette's describing the event, uh, Mary, Mary says to drink or to bathe, and she, goes to the, she starts to go to the river, and Mary points over to another spot. And so she starts to dig there and uncovers a spring. And people saw the spring water, and they began to bathe in it, and they began to drink it, and they began to be cured of things. And that's what Lourdes is famous for. It's famous for the waters. And so you go to Lourdes today, and you pray for the sick, and you ask for healings. So, I mean, that's the main thing that's there. Also, another thing about uh, Lourdes is that uh, Mary appeared to Bernadette, uh, Bernadette was the only one who could see her. Everybody else, no one else could see her. They could just see uh, Bernadette saying, "Kneel down, Mary's present." You know, the lady is present. Is that Mary never told Bernadette who her, what her name was, and that was one of the things the priest needed to know: who is it who's appearing? And so Bernadette asked uh, the vision her name, and the vision responded, "I am the Immaculate Conception." 
And this was like only a couple of years before the Pope had definitively declared that Mary had been immaculately conceived. And Bernadette, she was 14, and she still hadn't received First Communion. So, you know, how was this uneducated French girl, French uh, farm girl, able to know what Immaculate Conception was? And so it was kind of a thing of like the divine vision echoed what the Church was teaching. You know, that the church said Mary is immaculate, immaculately conceived, and then there was a vision where she said, I am the Immaculate Conception. Father, why is Lourdes known as a uh, place of healing? Share a little bit with us the information well, there. Well, there, are, uh, there have been 7,000 unexplained healings uh, from people either bathing in the water or from drinking the water. And uh, I learned this from... Father Leo Blasi, he pointed this out, that uh, no, one's, no one's caught a communicable disease by bathing in the waters there, even though sick people will bathe. Like, it's not, it hasn't been transmitted. Um, but of those 7,000 unexplained healings, which means science can't explain, we have no idea how you got better, we just know you got better. Uh, 7, of, the, of those 7,000, 70 of those have been declared miracles that the church said this is definitely God acting in the world. And the last one of those miracles was in 2018. So the miracles that are happening in Lourdes are still going on right now. And it was a French nun. Um, She was cured. I think it was like Parkinson's that she was cured of. Um, Then she went and bathed, and then all of a sudden she was able to get better. And uh, so here, anything else? Or... uh, well, I got more stories to tell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and obviously there's that the 7,000 unexplained healings. That's quite a number, and the fact that, uh, you know, a portion of those were miracles as well. Let's talk a little bit maybe about how the sick are treated there. Okay. Well, that's more really one of the things that amazes you the most when you go to Lourdes is just watching them because uh, Lourdes gets the last shall be first and the first shall be last. You know, that uh, people who are least in this world are greatest in the next. And so they always give the sick the pride of place, that they uh, get to cut in lines. Uh, They always have the right of way. Uh, One other thing is they have these really fancy wheelchairs there that – and they're designed so that you can either be pushed or pulled and that the person in the wheelchair can steer. And this was designed in the 1850s when it began. And, you know, back then, you know, they didn't worry about taking care of the sick or anything like that. And the other thing about it is because and it makes sense that you want to honor them. And if you ever go any place like at the uh, at the rosary that they have every night, they have a rosary percent Marian procession with the rosary and the sick are always in the front of that procession at the Eucharistic adoration at the Eucharistic procession every afternoon the sick are in the front of that procession when you if you want to go and bathe uh, the sick people they are able to go first they get a cut in line even though people will wait up to four hours in order to, to be able to bathe the sick always are able to cut in line and you're thinking to yourself it's like well that's nice but i realize there's more to it than just well we have to be nice to the sick person and the image and i finally figured this out it took me a time me some time in front of the blessed sacrament to recognize it but i finally did is what they do 
is when they're when they honor the sick there it's it's telling them thank you for your service you know how when you uh you know if you want to honor a veteran or if you see somebody in active duty military and you thank them for you know for serving your country thank you for your service to our country that's the way they treat the sick at lords that the sick being sick being infirm it means that you are sacrificing this, you are taking on this cross, and you're doing this, because you're doing this, the church is better. The church is better because you are bearing with this cross, and we are honoring them for being able to bear with that. Just as we thank a service member, thank you for putting your life on the line so that our country may be stronger, thank you for bearing with this cross, so that way our church can be stronger. Um, and, you know, many times people, when they deal with the sick, it's, you can kind of tell there's a sense of pity that they have. They feel sorry for the sick person. Or there's this uh, unspoken prayer of, thank God I'm not that sick. And that's not the attitude they have. It's, thank you for what you are doing. And we are here to help you, and we are here to take care of you um, so that you can do these things. Um, and that's really the, the biggest thing that I've discovered about them. And that's one of the things that I've taken away from it, of you honor those who are bearing the crosses, you thank them for it, and you try to show them respect and honor and courtesy as much as possible, because they are the ones that are living out that part of the church. We're talking with Father Damien Richards about his experience at Lourdes. And Father, let's talk about, I know there were charges of fraud or psychosomatic healings at one point. And how did how did Lords respond to that particular um, charge? Well, what was going on is, uh, you know, this was in the 1850s, and people were going in and they were bathing and they were saying, "I got better, I got better." And in France, French history is a wonderful thing to study, cause especially in the 1800s, because it's very confusing. But uh, there was a strong secular movement in France in the 1800s. Uh, the French Revolution came along in the 1790s, and they massive persecutions of the church in the early histories, or in the early 1800s of the church, of the France. And then Napoleon came in and restored the church, and then there were rebellions back and forth. Governments would change. But there was this strong group of people that said, the church is a bunch of manipulators and they're preying on people. So the, the culture battles that we have going on in the United States, uh, these are not new things. I mean, they're not, because back in France, France was having the same thing. Uh, secularists were saying, you need to get rid of the church and you need to get rid of God and you need to rely only on science. And then there was the church and people of faith saying, no, the faith is there also. And so they would say, well, you know, the, these doctors, these scientists, these people who were opposed to the church would say, well, it's just this uh, trumped-up thing. And so what the church did was they, they called their bluff. They created a medical bureau. What they did is they went to a bunch of doctors and they said, okay, what proof do you need to show that this, was, that this wasn't medical science, that this wasn't psychosomatic? What proof do you need? And the secularists said, here's what we're going to have to have. 
And it's like, well, you know, we're going to need to see what their medical records were. We need to see what their symptoms were beforehand, how, you know, how bad the disease was. And and then we'll have to see what it is afterwards, too, after they go and bathe, see if it's really changed or not. We need measurable data. And the church said, okay, fine, we'll do that. They called their bluff. And what they did is that they established a thing called the Medical Bureau. And uh, what the Medical Bureau did is they uh, would document all this stuff. They would document, here is the doctor, this person came for treatment, here was the doctor who was treating them beforehand, here are the diagnosis that the doctor had, here are the... Here are the treatments that the doctors tried. Here was the results of those treatments. Nothing was working. They came here to Lourdes. They bathed. They drank the water. And then afterwards, they said they were cured. They went to the doctor, the doctor, and the doctor said they couldn't figure out how it was explained. And that was how they did it. Um, this all happened in 1883. And... If there were healings and if they were cured because of the medicine that was taken, then science would explain how the healing occurred. And as you know, there's no contradiction between faith and science. And so they said, praise God, through medical knowledge, you know, we were able to help this person be cured. But if the medicine wasn't working, if the surgery wasn't successful, and if they were healed anyway, then they said science has to give way to faith. And that's why there's a difference between there's the unexplained healings and there are the miracles. Because the unexplained healings were science doesn't know how this happened. We don't know how this happened, but we know they got better. We don't know how. And then, and then they would turn it over to the church to investigate whether this was the intercession of Mary or the intercession of the saint. And that's why the, there are 70 miracles and 7,000 unexplained healings. And it's still the same way today. If you have a uh, illness... If you're going there with a serious chronic illness, they want you to bring, like, your medical records. And the medical bureau, they will keep them. And then that way, they have a proof of this is what was going on before you came, and then this is what, and then this is what happened afterwards. So they did that on purpose. And then what they codified in Lourdes, that ended up being the criteria for any miraculous healing at all. And those criteria are what's used by the church now to determine miraculous healings. So like, uh, you know, with Father Capon, you know, we're hoping for Father Capon to get one more miracle under his belt, you know, so that way he can be uh, declared a saint. The medical procedures to determine a medical miracle, those were originally established at Lourdes. So we're still using this stuff today in order to help us recognize God acting in the world. And what they try to do with it, I mean, it's it's pretty much calling the secularist bluff. Um, and, you know, the, the whole concept of faith versus science, and either you have faith and you don't need science, or you have science and you don't need any of this stupid religion stuff. And in reality, it's both that we use both together in order to uh, in order to advance knowledge and so that the rules that the uh, medical bureau put together of all right let us find out whether this was somebody being treated by an illness and they got better or whether it was god acting the finger of god coming in and touching this person that's how they determine it uh one thing because i read about this uh there are no more cancer cures in lords uh, or no one has been cured of cancer at Lourdes for the past, like, 50, 60 years. It's not that miracles haven't happened there. It's just that if you have cancer and you're going to Lourdes to bathe in the waters to ask for intercession, that um, 
you're going there to bathe in the waters, odds are you're already going through treatment. You're getting chemo, you're getting radiation, you're getting all of this all of these treatments, because that's what people do when they find out you have cancer. They start treating you right away. And that people would go to Lourdes while being treated for cancer. They would go through the waters and they would get better. And the medical, do- the medical bureau would say, well, they got better, but was it because the chemo they were taking before they came here finally kicked in and, chain- and-, and cured them, or was it Mary curing them well we really don't know and because they were taking the medical they were taking these treatments we're going to have to assume that that was the treatments that caused that caused the cure so it's i i just had to read that like three times in my book about lords of uh you know no one's cured of cancer anymore because everyone's being treated for cancer uh but you know like i said the miracles still happen and now they use that uh rome realized that what they were doing at lords was very handy for determining this about are these uh, are these intercessory miracles are those intercessions really God working in the world and how do you know it's like well they use what they what they determined at Lourdes so. our guest is Father Damien Richards talking about his experiences at Lourdes and sharing uh, a lot of great information especially for somebody who maybe has not been there uh, give you an opportunity to learn more about it so father when you get to lords what what's the routine in other words what do you do what's the what is the process and how how do things work there yeah well first off you have to want to get to lords it's not really on the way to any place i mean cuz it's it's a in the Pyrenees Mountains, and so it's you know tucked up way in the mountains, and it was just this sleepy little village until uh, the miracle happened with Bernadette. And so the routines, it depends on how much time you have. One thing that I'm very grateful for, and one thing I worked when I organized this last pilgrimage, was I try to avoid a thing called tourist tag. And what tourist tag is is that the tour guide comes in, says, all right, we're going to this famous place, they drive, we drive to this famous place, they get out of the bus, they say, okay, here's this famous place, here are the bathrooms, here's the gift shop, you got a half hour to get back on the bus. And I hate those because you can't actually experience them. And so when we, when we packed the book this, it was like, we're going to spend two days there. We're going to spend two days at Lourdes. And so we got in in the evening, and they checked us into the hotel, and they fed us dinner, and then we went to the rosary. Now, like... There's the, this is the cool rosary. There's the boring rosary, which is them praying the rosary in front of the grotto, which is still nice. Nothing wrong with that. But at like 9 o'clock at night, they do a rosary, Marian procession with a rosary. And there are like 25, 25,000 people there. And it's a candlelit rosary. And it starts at the grotto and it works, it weaves its way around. And you end up in front of the main basilica. And it's very powerful because they do the prayers and uh, the big prayers are in Latin, like the uh, Creed and the Our Father and the Hail Holy Queen. But the uh, Our Father and, and but the Hail Marys are in every different language you can think of. Everybody gets like three Hail Marys. Um, there were three Hail Marys in English, and everything else was Spanish, French, German, Italian, Vietnamese. And you try to recognize, I wonder what this language is. Um, but you go to that, on, and that's in the evening. 
And then the next morning, we got a tour of the grounds and kind of an orientation. They kind of walked us around. You know, here's where the took us down to the grotto, and we were able to go in. And you can see they have the, the spring is still there, and you know, the spring is still, you know, generating water. And they have it glassed off, and you can look down in it, and you can see the water coming out. But you can't just walk up and put your hand in the spring. But then they and they show you all the places. There are like six basilicas that are there. There's the upper basilica, the lower basilica. There's the Pius XII basilica, which is underground and holds 25,000 people. And you never guess by looking at pictures of Lourdes that there's this underground basilica. And that's where the Eucharistic procession ends. And then here where the baths are, and here's where candles are lit, and they give you a tour. And then, uh, and then also, like, here's where you can do confessions, here's where you can do candles, and then usually they'll take you to a Mass. Uh, the coolest place to say Mass, of course, is in the grotto. That's the neatest place to go to. And then, but they also have them in all of these chapels scattered throughout the grounds. So if you can't, if your group doesn't have mass scheduled at booked at the chapel or booked at the grotto, then usually they get it booked someplace else. And so you can have mass uh, said there. They also like to do a tour of the town, uh, visiting the sites where the Subaru family lived. Uh, the he, her dad was a miller, but he went bankrupt. And so, but there's the mill that they lived in. You can go there. Uh, after they got kicked out of the mill, uh, a family, it was a family member, he had taken possession of the old jail in town. And so you can go see the jail where they live. And they, the family was living in the old jail, and that's when Bernadette had the miracle. That's when she had the visions, because uh, she went to gather firewood because it was really cold in that old jail. And they had to go far afield in order to find free firewood because they didn't have any money. Oh, it's another point of trivia. The Subaru family was ill, was poor. Bernadette was the sick one because she had, like, asthma and tuberculosis. She was sickly. And uh, because she was sick, she got to wear the pair of socks. The other kids didn't wear socks, but she got to wear the pair of socks because she was the sick one, which I just love as a detail. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's poor when your family, who gets the socks? Well, the sick person gets the socks. Wow. So. Uh, and then what you do is they say, okay, we give you your tour, and now your day is free. And that's when you take advantage of going to the – and it's that free time. That's where the valuable stuff happens because that's when you can go, uh, go to adoration. That's where you can go to the baths. That where you can go to confession because they have priests there that will hear confessions um, all day. And so you have those things that they do. And so you really want to be able to have a couple of times. You need a good day, day and a half, in order to really get the flavor of the place. Because uh, otherwise, they'll just show up. They'll give you a tour. Here, let's go look at the grotto, go get some water, and then you get on the bus and go home. That's not really a good way to experience one of these holy places. Because uh, you got to be able to stop and you got to be able to pray. So, uh, one of the and, and if I remember right, and, and that isn't it. Is it in the foothills of the Pyrenees? Mm-hmm. Kind of the foothills, and and it's not yeah. a very big a town, maybe fifteen thousand or something like that. Yeah, and it's grown up a bunch. There's a lot of suburban, but uh, the actual town itself, I mean, all of the facilities where Lourdes is, the old town is uh, up above it. So you got to walk a lot. Oh, okay. <laughs> a lot of walking, a lot of cobblestones, a lot of steep streets. 
um, because it's all up in a hill. It, I mean, it's all uh, a mountain village. So, you know, you think of a small town in Colorado up in the mountains, right. you know, bef- before the cars came along, and that's, that's what the roads are like up there. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, please know we'll be right back with Father Damien Richards. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Father Damien Richards. Miracles at Lourdes. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Father Damien Richards is with us this afternoon talking about his experience at Lourdes and... Um, Father, did you bathe in the waters, and, and if so, what was that like for you? Uh, yes, I did. That was uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to go back. I went in 2008, and I convinced myself that I really didn't want to take a bath back then, and I've been regretting it ever since. So I decided, now, it's like, if I'm going back, I need to, go, I need to do the baths. I need to go in and do that. And what I've discovered is, is that uh, the women are the one. There, there are a lot more women than men who want to take the baths. And so there are two lines. There's two sections of the baths. There's the side for the men, and then there's the side for the women. And the women's, um, I mean, you can wait up to four or five hours there. And what they have is, the, and you're sitting on benches underneath a canopy before you go into the bathhouse itself. And what they do is they have like high school girls, high school kids, will lead rosaries. They'll sit at the microphone and they'll lead a rosary, and then when they get done, another kid gets up and they lead a rosary. So you're praying while you're waiting to go into line. Uh, and uh, I'm thinking the reason why the women's line is longer than the men's is that women are much more open to say, taking such a spiritual risk than men are, so the women are better at it. Uh, I did discuss, I mean, I knew that the sick could cut in line. Also, if you bring a child, if, a chi- if you have a child that you want to have bathed, the child gets to cut in line too, and the, family, and the parent can go in with them. And then I discovered that clergy can cut in line as well. Was, uh, Sunday morning was when I went in to, went to go, and I went in. It's like, oh, my gosh, better get moving. And went in at like 8 o'clock in the morning, and I went in and sat in the back, sat at the back of the line of the men, and then this attendant came over and said, no, 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 you can come up here. And it's like, oh, so, so I've got to be able to go up front and cut in. Uh, and what they do is they escort you in, and there are like four or five stations, I suppose, and there are stalls, and you open up a curtain, and there are these six chairs, six like you know deck chairs, or those plastic chairs. And what you do is they say, okay, now you take off your clothes, and so that's what you do. You strip down to your shorts. Uh, the women, our tour guide told us this because she was she she had bathed, and she said with the women they give you like a coverall, and then you take your clothes off and you keep the cover on. But for men, they just said down to your underwear. So that's what we did. And we were very scrupulously not looking at anybody because uh, you're sitting here in your underwear with five other guys. And then what you do is uh, then there's another curtain and behind that curtain is the actual tub with the water in it. And the it's kind of elevated. And so you, they walk you in and you're standing at the top of the tub 
and there are three steps going down into the tub, and then they have two attendants on either side. There's a guy, so they have three attendants total. There's one with you, and then two at the sides of the tub to escort you down. And uh, what they do is a man told me, turn towards the wall, take off my shorts, and I did, put a, a towel around my waist, and then he stood me at the head of the tub, and he gave directions. Because when you bathe at the waters, it's not just go in for a dunk. And he said, uh, he said, first off, you have to pray before you go in. And they had a statue of Mary up above the tub, and he said, he looked, pointed to the statue, and he said, say your prayer to Mary, make your intention. And then when you're ready, go on into the water. And so that's what I did. And I looked at the statue of Mary, and I said, Mary, help me be a better priest. Figured Mary would appreciate that prayer, but that's what I needed was, Mary, help me be a better priest. And then you step down, and there are like three steps. And so you step down into the low, uh, down onto the lowest level of the tub. And the water, it is a mountain spring. You pointed out it's a mountain village, and it's a mountain spring, and it's cold like a mountain spring. It's unheated water, and uh, like 50-degree water. It's really cold. And what they do is they set you down, and then they say, now you lean back. It's like pretend that, like you're sitting down. And so you sit down and lean back. You fall back down into the water, and the attendants are there kind of lowering you down. They make a point not to put the – you don't put your face underneath the water. You don't go all the way underneath. And so they lower you down to your neck, and then they raise you back up again. And then after they do that, then they have the they have water in a pitcher, and if you want to put water on your face, they'll pour it into your hand, pour some into your hands, and then you can wash your face with it. And then, and that's it. That's the bath. And then they lead you back out and put your shorts on, and then you go back out, and then you get dressed. They don't give you a towel or anything. And the fascinating thing is, is that the water dries really fast. Um, because it's like you walked out and my clothes weren't wet. Um, so I got dressed and then I walked out. And it was a life-changing experience. I can tell you that much right now. Because what happened was is I got dressed, I walked out, walked out the door, and then it's like, okay, I did that. And then about 100 feet away from the baths, all of a sudden my knees started going out from me. Just my knees started shaking. And I began to choke up and I knew I needed to, I have to go sit down now. And I knew where the Adoration Chapel was, it was across the river, and so that's where I went. I went as fast as I could to the Adoration Chapel to think about what just happened uh, when I had the bath. So it was a very powerful thing. Wow. I yeah, I didn't realize. I mean, you hear you hear about it, but the detail that you're giving today, which is beautiful, it's great to know that uh, these are some of the experiences that people will have. And the, the idea that there's so many people in the wait um, is, is amazing as well. We're going to yeah, talk. And that's why it takes a day. I yeah. mean, you, you really need a day because you have no idea how long the line's going to be. So you talked a little bit, Father, about some of the other devotions there, too rosary, adoration things, masses. And so uh, we've got some time, certainly, if you want to go into a little more detail on, on some of those things. Yeah. Uh, well, the one thing I've done both times, like I said, the rosary is really cool. When I tried to describe it to the kids at school, it's like, imagine Hayes. Imagine everybody in Hayes praying a rosary at the same time. That's, wow. the, that's the rosary at 9 o'clock at night there, because it's 20,000, 25,000 people. So you're wow. talking down the size of Hayes. And 
like even when they're praying the rosary, even when they're at the Hail Mary, and you know it's not in English, you know where they're at. You know what prayer they're praying, and so you just pray your you pray your prayer anyway. I even stole some of their ideas. We do a living rosary here at St. John's. Uh, part of our uh, our school kids have that in October to honor Mary, and so I adjusted things, passed out candles, and we had the people who were there. They were holding candles while the kids led us in the rosary prayer. You know, Ave, Ave, Ave Maria, you know, that song. It's called the Lord's Hymn because that's where it came up with it, was there. And uh, the procession is uh, the Eucharistic procession. They do that every afternoon at about 5 o'clock or so. And once again, it starts on one side of the River Gav, and it goes all the way through the grounds and ends up uh, underground in this underground basilica, and that's where they do benediction. And then when they uh, put the Blessed Sacrament away down there, they have a chapel, they have an altar where, when it's a tabernacle for where they put the Blessed Sacrament. And on that altar, or in that altar, are relics of John Paul II and uh, Sister Faustina. Wow. And it's like, it's really cool. Um, and uh, let's see, the candles, I love the candles because the joke I have is that our insurance company would go nuts <laughs> if we tried to put candles in our church the way they have candles at Lourdes. Because uh, what they do is they'll take like a, you know, one of those tall, you know, 12-inch candles, 14-inch candles, and you just walk up and you just stick it in some sand and let it burn. You know, no glass container, nothing. You just stick it in some sand and you let it burn. But there are a lot of candles that are lit. The other thing, and I've done this every time, is that they have a prayer box there. And so what I, before I would leave, I would get a prayer box. I would get, uh, I'd ask parishioners, if you have any intentions you would like for me to take to Lourdes, let me have them, and I'll take them. And so they'll take the intentions, and there's a box in the grotto. And so you take these intentions and you put them in the box, and that way... They are being prayed for there at Lourdes in the grotto, and we're asking Mary to take care of all those intentions. Another thing I discovered is that uh, they have that. It's, it's an online feature now. Uh, you can email your prayer requests, and they will put them on the. They'll put them in the box uh, for you. They'll email. All you have to do is email them, and they'll do that for you online if you get on the Lourdes website. And then, of course, there's the water uh, because you can get the water. They have these. They're like 20 or 30 spigots of water, spigots all like lined up, and you can go and you can fill up water bottles. And the Europeans who don't have to get on planes, I mean, they'll, I've seen them people selling, like, they have like five-gallon jugs, five-gallon jugs that they're filling up with Lourdes water uh, in order to take home with them. And for us who have to fly in order to get there, uh, they have water bottles that are of the size that... Uh, you're allowed to carry on a plane, and so they'll sell you those, and then you can uh, buy the, and then you can uh, get the water that way because uh, the water is free. I mean, they're very clear on that. It's like the water is, you know, it's for anyone who wants it, but you know they'll be happy to sell you a bottle or something with like Lords written on it or something like that. Uh, Father, what about? I know you talked about. Um, as after you left the baths and you kind of felt weak in the knees and you decided you needed to get to the Adoration Chapel. But let's talk about supernatural experiences. Anything that you've experienced that you'd like to share? Well, that was the big one. I mean, that really was. Of uh, And it just, 
like what happened there, what was going on, and I realize it's uh, you know, what I discovered is is that uh, God is in charge and we're not, and uh, the danger of asking God to take over is that He will do it. Uh, and if you're serious about it, if you're like, okay, I really mean this, and that I was able to pray, it took me 10 years of prayer in order to get to this point of, you know, Mary, I want you to help me be a better priest. And I had to hand over my priesthood to her. That's what I had to do. And that's what happened. And then I walked out of the chapel, you know, I walked out of the baths, and my legs started going out from underneath me, and I was spent 10 to 15 minutes trying not to cry too much in the adoration chapel because there are other people there. Uh, but I realized it's like there is pretty much don't mess with Mary. That's what it is. Uh, she wants, to, if, if you want her to take care of things, she will take care of things. And she will change your life. But you have to let her do it. Wow. And that's really the best. It's just this very powerful thing. And like I said, the first time I went to Lourdes, I turned down the chance to go to the baths. And I always regretted that because it seemed like a cop-out. To go to Lourdes and to not take a bath felt like a cheat, so I decided I needed to go back. And and one of the things I was doing is I was resisting a chance to grow closer to Mary and grow closer to her son by not bathing. So that's why I needed to do this. I needed to make that a part of it. And I realized, also looking back on it, if I would have done it in 2008, I wouldn't have been ready. I wouldn't have had that experience, because uh, I wanted it to be a serious and prayerful thing. Uh, and so it took, while I was you know, organizing the trip and sending out emails and encouraging people, and I love to give out homework when I'm uh, leading a pilgrimage of, like, you need to read this, you need to watch this movie, things like that, to be aware of what's going on of you know I was I was building up the courage to turn myself over to Mary for that uh, and that's that's what it is um, that and Mary's helped me I mean things have changed for me spiritually since I've been back and it's been it's been a sustained change too it wasn't just a a, a quick thing sometimes that happens you think that yeah. Right, something happens and then you're done. Or it's more of an emotion, but it's really a transitory thing. Next day it's gone. It's mm-hmm. like, no, it's still there. Mary still loves me. Mary's power is still with me. And I know that. Let's talk about, obviously you talked about how Mary has affected, how this has affected your devotion to Mary and really how Lord just changed your life. Did you happen to have a devotion to Bernadette before you went to Lourdes? No, I really didn't. Uh, I mean, I knew of her. But that was, uh, <laughs> but I really didn't. Uh, but then, because I'm a literate, I'm like, like I'm a bookish guy. I love to read, and so it's like, well, if I'm going to Lourdes, I got to study. And so I was reading all these stories about Bernadette. And the thing about Bernadette is, is that she maintained her humility throughout the whole thing. She became after the visions, she became a nun, and she went to the convent in Nevers. And that's where she lived. And the reason why she chose Nevaire is it was the one convent that wasn't recruiting her. Yeah, because, you know, think about it. If you're a convent and you want to get your name on the map, it's like, well, we have the woman who had the vision of Mary. She's one of our nuns. Don't you want to come and be part of our group? 
And Nevaeh didn't do that. And so Bernadette knew if I go there, it will be for my spiritual benefit and my spiritual growth. And I admire that, that she did it out of a sense of humility for herself, of this is for me and Mary, this isn't for anybody else. And the one quote, and I love to point this out, is that Bernadette was absolutely convinced she was going to go to purgatory when she died. She was convinced of it. And she wrote it out. She said, when I am dead, people will say, oh, she saw Our Lady, she's a saint, and meanwhile, I'm roasting in purgatory. And she was lamenting the fact that she would be in purgatory longer than anybody else because no one would be praying for her because they'd all think she was a saint. You know, and the only way you can get out of purgatory, you know, it's like, well, you do your time or people pray for you, so that way their prayers can help get you out of purgatory sooner. And I really was been taken with that, and I use that a lot of especially when it's like I begin to think, well, I'm doing pretty good at this. It's like, no, Bernadette was convinced she'd head straight to purgatory, so I'll probably go straight to purgatory too. But that's okay. If I'm trying to do God's will and that's where I got to be, that's where I got to be. But I love that quote of, uh, you know, that meanwhile I'm roasting in purgatory and no one's (laughs) praying for me. Yeah. Uh, I guess I never thought about that. But there would be a that that scare when you think about nobody praying, thinking you're already there. So, mm-hmm. so which always which always bugs me when people immediately put grandma in heaven, you know, at right. the funeral. Oh, she's in heaven now. She's there with the angels. It's like pray for her first. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you're praying for her before then, so that way we know she's there. So exactly. Well, so how did this um, uh, how did this affect how you treat the sick in your parish? Did it have an effect on on that? It makes it a lot more important to be with them. Uh, I mean, it really does, because I recognized it's like they have, you know, in Lourdes, you have pride of place. And so I got to make sure that I'm giving them pride of place. Um, we have a thing, you know, back when we had, you remember public masses? Mm-hmm. You remember when we had those? Mm-hmm. You know, I remember those. I don't know if you can remember that. <laughs> I, back, do, but yeah. I remember when we had public masses. Uh, we will have them again. We'll have them again. But there's one row of... Uh, like here at St. John's, there's one place that if you have problems walking, this is where you go when you sit. And it's like on the front row. And I always make a point. We have, you know, we have seven communion ministers on a Sunday. And I always make a point of I'm the one who goes and gives communion to those people, to the ones in that front row. Hmm. Because I do that because I want to honor the infirm. I want to show them that I value them for what they have to put up with. And thank you for putting up with this and making the church a better place because you're embracing your cross. And the easiest way for me to do that is is that I, as the priest, will be the one to come over and give you communion. Because you know, I know there are people who, you know, that that's a thing for some people. They prefer to receive communion from a priest. It's like, well, if receiving from me is a valuable thing, I'm going to give this to the most valuable people in the parish. And that's why we do that. And that's the curse of this whole quarantine is it's, you can't go up to the hospital, you can't go up to the nursing home, so uh, we've been sending cards, you know, that's what we're doing now, and it's not the same, uh, you know, so right. it's just really frustrating, sure. because I want to be able, how am I going to honor them if I can't even get there to them? Um, but that's why it's so very important to make sure that the nursing home is taken care of and that they have Mass on a regular basis. So, uh, Father, any plans to go back to Lourdes? And if you do, is, uh, maybe head a pilgrimage? Is that, in your, is that in your plans? Well, the frus- 
frustrating thing is, is that if it weren't for the pandemic, I'd be going back in June. Oh, wow. Because uh, when I was there, I found out, you know, that there are priests that are there for confessions. And the way you do that is, is that there are priests that they volunteer. And so, like, oh, well, I want to do that. And so I, you know, got the uh, got the information while I was there and then emailed them after I got back. And, you know, you can go for at least a minimum of two weeks uh, during the season, which starts Palm Sunday and goes through, like, the uh, 1st of October. And they need priests there to hear confessions all day, that you hear confessions and you do a public mass, because not all the pilgrims that show up have a priest with them, and so you have to have a public mass in the different languages for the pilgrims that are there. And uh, you participate in the uh, Eucharistic procession and in the rosary, in, in doing the rosary at night. And so I applied for that and got accepted and was just so very excited. It was right before Christmas. Best Christmas present I ever got was I got accepted to Lourdes for that. Wow. And then in February, or no, shoot, it was January. January, they said, uh, you know, we're we're going to have to suspend that because the tour guides were all canceling. Tours were all canceling because of the coronavirus and the restrictions. And like, because I think, but it's in June. And they said, yeah, but uh, the way you put a tour together is it's like a three-month wait. It's three months out, things like that. So they were the tours were all falling apart and so they said well we're not going to need we're not going to need these priests so i would have been back in june but instead i'm going to be going and i'm hoping they will accept me in 2021 that's what i'm hoping for um wow that we that we can have that uh, so father we we just have about a minute left before we wrap up what advice would you give to someone if they're thinking about or planning a trip to lures what was some some advice from father damien Start cultivating your devotion to Mary. Start praying to Mary. Start asking for her help, asking for her intercession. Do the homework, too. Start reading about Lourdes, reading about uh, Song of Bernadette. Watch the movie Song of Bernadette, because uh, that's the story of Lourdes, and it's a, very, it's a great movie. But it's this opportunity. You go to Lourdes, and it's a chance for you to recognize just how valuable Mary is and how Mary can take care of people and how she loves people and how she loves families especially, loves the sick, wants people to be with her, wants people to be with her son. And so work on developing your devotion to Mary now so that way when you're there, you can really experience it. Because if you didn't have a relationship with her, like, You'll still get something out of it, but it won't be nearly as powerful as if you, uh, like, like I know who this woman is, and now I know her even more. So keep building up your relationship to Mary, and then when you go to Lourdes, it's a really powerful thing. Father, i got to tell you something. My wife has talked about, you know, putting Lourdes on her list, and when she said it, I went, eh, maybe so. But I, I think you've convinced me that this is definitely a place you want to visit. Oh, you so. got to go. It's yeah. not if you go to Lourdes, it's when you go yeah. to Lourdes. Yeah. Okay? It's like it's like Rome. It's not if you go, but when you go. Right. So. Father, thank you so much. We appreciate you sharing great information. And before you leave, would you leave us with a blessing? Sure. So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Through the intercession of Our Lady of Lourdes and through the intercession of St. Bernadette, may God's healing power come upon you and all who are listening. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Damien, thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. 
Thanks for okay, sharing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, we appreciate you tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the Double-Edged Sword icon. And folks, Divine Mercy Radio is needing to raise funds to purchase equipment for a state in Salina and a larger station in Hayes. If you can help with these projects, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KVDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and soon KJDM Salina and 105.7 KMDG Hayes. If today you hear his voice, pardon not your hearts.